Well, this summer we've been looking at family and what it takes to make family work. We've talked about marriage. We've talked about the kind of foundational, fundamental principles of what and how family should be designed. This morning we're going to talk about something that whether or not you're in a family, it will relate to you. And honestly, this morning we're going to talk about something that most of us, if you're like me, are probably not very good at, and that's communication. Now, a lot of us think we're good communicators, and a lot of us can talk a lot. I get that. Um, And uh, when I was a little kid, my great-grandpa came over to visit, and it was at that age, I don't know how old I was, but it was at that age where I just learned how to talk. And and so I was a chatterbox, and some of you guys were probably like that. I know it's hard for you guys to imagine that I talked a lot when I was a kid, but um, I did. And um, my great-grandpa came over, and my great-grandpa was the sweetest man. This is a guy that... I just got to tell you a story of my great-grandpa. He, he, would, he, would, uh, he came to the Lord in his 50s, and, and he was just so passionate about God that uh, as 70 and 80-year-old, he and my great-grandmother would load up their Etzel. I know some of you guys never even knew there was a car named an Etzel, but this was like a ginormous land boat car. They would load this car up with kids in the package tray. Um, that's that little thing back in the back glass for those of you guys who don't know. Um, they would put kids in there and they would drive. <laughs> I wouldn't do this today. They would drive from Southern Missouri to wherever the local youth rally was, right? And they would show up and here would be, here would be Jake and his carload of kids at this, at this youth rally. My great-grandpa loved kids. And, and so he'd come to my house for something. I don't know what it was. And boy, I like my great-grandpa. So I'd sit up on his lap, and I would talk, and, and I would talk, and I would talk, and I would talk. And my grandma always loved it because she, uh, on the way home, she said, did you enjoy the visit? Great-grandpa Jake said, yeah. She said, J- Jason's a delightful little kid. But he said, I think they might have vaccinated him with a phonograph needle. Some of you guys don't know what phonographs are. Most of you know what vaccinations are. Just ask me later. But uh, yeah, a lot of us love to talk, right? A lot of us love to talk about ourselves. But how many of us are good communicators? Because good communication is, is the bedrock of great relationships. And in the years that I've been in ministry... I've done a lot of marriage counseling, and almost in every situation, at some point, there's a communication breakdown. There's a place where the two people who were once madly in love and talked about everything together no longer talk about the things that really matter. Now, there may be a lot of words shared. There may be conversations around the dinner table. There may be texts sent and received. But sometimes that fundamental elements of communication simply aren't happening again. And and you go to a counselor and a lot of times they're going to, they're going to tell you to kind of work on trying to figure out your compatibilities with your, with your partner. And there's a lot of things you can do to enhance communication. I'm not going to try to do that this morning in a 30 minute sermon because you guys are going to throw songbooks at me. But, but I do want to start out this morning and just share with you what I believe to be the top five or so communication killers. Some of you looking at your, uh, looking at your outline this morning, you're like, what in the world is this? Killer one, killer two, killer... It's not a murder mystery right here, guys. Um, we're talking about things that, that kill our communication. Because communication is this delicate balance, and it can be easily dis- disturbed. And, and so what are the things that we maybe unintentionally do, often unintentionally do, 
that can stop good conversation from happening. And hey, if you're not married this morning, if you're not, if you don't have kids in the house anymore, this sermon is for you as much as it is for any of the rest of us. Because we are all called to be in a world full of broken people and to communicate with them the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we live in a time where there is more communication happening and less being said than maybe ever before. How do we cut through all the chatter to speak to the heart of people who really have deep questions? Some of the things that we're talking about this morning are answers to that. So what is the first communication killer? I suppose there's a lot of them. This is Jason's list. But I I believe that one of the most unintentional and yet most often or most frequently used communication killers is what I call minimalizing. And I think a lot of times this is done really, really with good intentions. So we say things like, oh, it's not that bad, or, or, or it's not as bad as, or I've had worse, or I think you're overreacting. And a lot of times our intention for that is just to say to the person, hey, it's okay. Or, or, or maybe they're younger or maybe less experienced in a particular area than we are. And we've walked through that and gone through that before. And we're like, hey, you know, it, it's going to work out. But sometimes the person hearing that receives something very different back from that. Sometimes even if you don't feel like that other person's issue is a big deal, that it's not that important in the moment, it probably is a big issue to them which is the reason that they've decided to communicate it to you. Sometimes as parents, I'm bad for this. In fact, let me just say right up front to you today uh, so we can get this over with. I don't have to say it for each of these. I am bad at all of these. And I'm going to guess that most of you, as we go through this list, are going to say, I've done that or I do that. And that's why we're talking about these up front this morning. I've done that with my kids before. They come to talk to me about something. I'm like, oh, you don't know when I was a kid, you know? And we give them the speech about walking up hills both ways to school on top of fence posts because the snow is so deep and having to milk cows at two o'clock in the morning and uh, all those kinds of stories. Um, but sometimes, sometimes we just need to be able to kind of share with somebody about something. And so minimalizing can be a convert or a communication killer because people come back from that and they're like, ah, I'm just going to get the speech about uphill both ways. I'm not even going to bother to talk about how I don't know how to deal with this particular thing. And what we don't realize is, is that we're never really able to impart that wisdom that we received because sometimes those who would want to receive it simply stop asking. Communication killer number two is defensiveness. It's an easy one to fall into because maybe someone comes up with a, with a statement about something or, 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 or a challenge to something that we do and, and makes it worse when it has to do with us personally or a decision that we personally made. And they're like, I don't agree with that. And, and there's this tendency for most of us, for our insecurities, which we all have, to kind of show through and for us to put up a wall of defense and say, you know what, I, I'm not going to have this conversation. Defensiveness is anything we say or do to fight off that feeling of feeling bad about something. So that can be anger, it can be, it can be attacking, it can be pouting, it can be the silent treatment, it can be excuses, it can be justifications, it can be explanations. It depends on our personality and the situation, but all those things, all those things can be defensiveness. Defensiveness doesn't necessarily stem from the belief that the person's not wrong. Often deep down inside, we know that they have a point. 
And sometimes we, we change things because they, they were courageous enough to talk to us about it. But it often stems because we already feel badly about our behavior or about what happened. Defensiveness can be a really dangerous communication killer because eventually people get tired of hearing the excuses or they fear the angry outbursts or they don't want to deal with the silent treatment and the pouting and so they simply stop talking about the things that are bothering them. And that becomes a big problem because then that begins to build resentment and begins to build dissatisfaction. Those things as we all know, are super damaging to a a relationship. Communication killer number three is one that I'm really bad for, and that is sarcasm. I think I was born sarcastic. I grew up in a sarcastic family, right? And and I don't even hold a candle to some of you guys. I mean, some of you guys are so quick-witted, and you can come up with with fun stuff. But but when things happen in my world, there's this part of my mind that just automatically goes to sarcasm, snideness, comments, and jokes. Now, hey, I think there is a time in life for there to be joke-telling, right? I am am absolutely 110% for laughter, and we say that sometimes. Sometimes you laugh so you don't cry. Yesterday, I was talking to an older lady, and and something had happened years ago. She had went and got her, somebody had finally talked her into letting them dye her hair, and she said, whatever you do, do not dye my hair black, right? And uh, they said, oh, okay, we're just going to dye your hair brown. And then when it came out of the whatever solution or the, the process was over, you guessed it, she had black hair, coal black hair, like, like black, like not natural sort of black hair. And when she looked in the mirror, she just started laughing. And the, the person said, are you, you think it's funny? She said, no, I'm just laughing so I don't cry. Yeah. We, we, we all get that, right? Sometimes you do just laugh something off and sometimes that's an appropriate thing to do. But it's important to recognize that not everyone maybe thinks that our sarcasm is as wonderful as we do, that our jokes are as funny as we think they are. In fact, if I'm honest with you today, I have to tell you that my wife has been a victim of my sarcasm. And um, I think that her feeling of safety around me has been affected by the fact that If she's open about something to me, it may come back as the butt of a joke someday. And that's something that I've had to scrub out of my life because I do not want my wife to not feel comfortable in confiding with me the deepest and most embarrassing challenges. Not that Michelle has very many embarrassing challenges. She's pretty much perfect, but but she's not. And she has things that she's insecure about, right? And she has challenges that she goes through, and she has thoughts that she thinks about. And the last thing she needs is for her to come to her husband and to share those, and me trying to be dismissive of those things, make them into a joke. It's not appropriate. And it kills communication. Sometimes I don't love confrontation. I've had to learn to deal with it as a preacher, and probably I don't make you guys raise your hands today because if you're non-confrontational, you won't raise your hand anyway. Um, but most of us probably aren't. P- 
people who like confrontation. If you love confrontation, come see me afterwards. You have another problem. Um, but, um, but most of us don't love confrontation. We don't like it. We don't really want to get involved in it. And so sometimes it's just easy for us to address an issue through a joke or through some side-handed comment. And you know what? There are times where that is exactly the way to deal with it. We're going to talk a little bit later here about the master communicator. And one thing that I've noticed about Jesus is that Jesus dealt with things directly. He didn't leave it up to ambiguity, to someone catching the inference. If it needed to be dealt with, he talked about it out loud. Killer number four is universal statements. I think you guys know what that is, and I won't spend much time on it, but it's when we say things like always and never. Almost always, always and never (laughs) aren't appropriate statements, are they? Someone doesn't always leave their socks on the floor. Someone doesn't never tell you that they love you. There's probably been a time that they've told you loved you, and there's probably been a time they picked their socks off the floor. If they're leaving their socks on the floor, that maybe need, need to be dealt with. And if they're not telling you how much they care about you, certainly they should know that you need to hear that. Always and never those universal statements. I don't know why this is because we all say it and we all know that's not true, but we all take it to heart when someone says it to us. Oh, you didn't notice that one time when, and that just kind of shuts us down. Once again, powerful communication killer. Killer number five are shutdown statements. It's the verbal equivalent of slamming a door in someone's face, but it's nice. So we, we say things like, it's fine, when it's not fine. Now, you know what? If you're, if you're in a parking lot and somebody shoves their cart across the Walmart parking lot and bangs into the door of your brand new car, and you say to that person, it's fine, right? Because <laughs> you're going to say that, you clench teeth. Well, maybe, maybe you don't care. Hey, that's probably the best way to handle that, all right? But when that's your spouse, when that's your children, and you tell them it's fine when it's not fine, it's not being honest. Or when they say, what's wrong? And you say, nothing, when there is something. Or you say, I can't do anything right, as you turn and walk away. Or it doesn't matter when it does matter. Or here's a good one. You're right, you're right. When you don't believe they're right. You know what? Everyone sees through that pretty quickly unless they're really naive. And they know what you've done right there. You said, we're not going to talk about this anymore. You cannot get me to engage in this conversation anymore. I am shutting the door. So we got over those things. Those are five communication killers. I figured we would get get rid of those first so we can look the rest of our time together at how good communication works. And if you want to know what good communication looks like, I would challenge you just to become a student of the, of the Synaptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Just look at Jesus. Look how Jesus communicated. Because Jesus was a masterful communicator. He could talk when the time was right, had the perfect words to say, and his point always made it home, which is not anything that I can claim in any of those categories. And so how do we become people who are master communicators? How do we become people who communicate 
like Jesus Christ. I think the Apostle Paul did this amazing job in Ephesians, the fourth chapter. We're going to use his summary of Jesus and his communication method to kind of go back and take a look at how we can fix some of these communication killers. Ephesians, the fourth chapter, you guys know that, that the Apostle Paul is challenging people to be like Jesus, right? Which is our job, right? We're not just to kind of measure up to some man-made standard. We're to walk as Jesus walked, be, to become like Christ in every way possible. And that would be impossible if he hadn't put his spirit within us. But when we're baptized into Christ, we become recipients of the Holy Spirit of God. We're indwelled by the power of God. And God is there to help us become the people that we are called to be. And so in Ephesians 4 and verse 20, just to kind of set up to this, Paul, Paul is kind of confronting a, a, a situation that's developed in the, in the Ephesian church because they've kind of fallen, fallen into religion, right? They've kind of, kind of fallen into doing things the way that this per, certain person said. And the apostle Paul says, but that is not the way you learned Christ. I just, I got to point this out. I know it's not a sermon about Jesus and theology. Well, it's always about Jesus, but we're not talking about this. But hey, just notice how Paul words that right there. That is not how you learned Christ. Jesus said we're to go in all the world, make disciples of all nations and baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything he has commanded us. We need to look like Jesus. We need to learn Jesus. That's why we're talking about what we're talking about today. He says in verse 21, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him. Now, I should point out that this is, of course, sarcasm right here. And I told you sarcasm wasn't good. The Apostle Paul used it in his writings. As truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life, that is corrupt through its deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, to put on a new self, created after the likeness of God in truth, righteousness, and holiness. I'm just giving you guys this background text here this morning because I think it's really important to understand what he talks about now in verse number 25. He said, you learn Jesus as a transformed life. You learn Jesus as you took off Jason and you put on Jesus. You took off your old habits, your old communication methods, your old insecurities, your old weaknesses, and you've exchanged that for something far better. And then he says this in verse 25. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one body. That verse, Ephesians 4 and verse 25, may be the most powerful and concise text in Scripture to good communication to be able to talk as Jesus talked, to put off falsehood and to speak truth with our neighbor, for we are members of one another. All the elements are there for powerful, powerful communication. So what was it that made Jesus such an amazing communicator? We could spend probably the rest of the day today talking about that because it's Jesus and that's an infinite subject. But there's two things that I think that we should focus on in the few minutes we have remaining. The first is this. I think Jesus was one of the greatest listeners who has ever lived. Which is unique because Jesus knew all the answers to all the mysteries. Not only that, but Jesus knew the thoughts and intentions of people's hearts. Jesus knew the heavenly father 
he had been with him from the very beginning. You know, some, some of us, we know a lot, and so we figure that we should talk a lot. Jesus knew everything and didn't talk all that much. He, he listened to people. He listened to what they were saying, and he listened to how they were saying what they were saying. Maybe the first place that's most important for us to listen, though, is that Jesus listened to God. And as you look at the life of Christ, you see season after season where Jesus goes. In fact, his ministry started that way, right? He goes out into the wilderness and he spends 40 days just in prayer with God. And this is prayer and this is fasting. And yes, Satan comes and interrupts that periodically or all at the very end, depending on how that worked out. But Jesus is out there to communicate with God. Jesus is listening to what God has to say to him. And Jesus made that a priority, didn't you? You kind of think that's funny when you think, okay, this is Jesus, right? He knows the Father. He knows all about him. Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And yet Jesus would prioritize communication with God over sleep. He would go up in the mountains just to spend time alone with God. And I think the reason why is it's very, very hard to listen to God when you're in the middle of all the noise of life. Sometimes it's really hard for us to hear what God is saying to us when we're constantly watching TV and being fed a a diet of entertainment on our social media. Jesus knew how to listen. And he knew how primarily to listen to God. You guys know the text of Hebrews, fourth chapter and verse number 12, where it says, for the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and the intentions of our hearts. When, when you get the word of God in you, and you create in your life a time that's quiet, and hey guys, that doesn't have to be some kind of wilderness time where you go off into the, into the lone wilderness by yourself. Um, most of us have some wilderness time every day. When you sit down in that little car that you drive to work, you don't have to turn the radio on. You don't have to click on that podcast. Maybe you kick on the Bible app listen to a bit of scripture, and then just shut it off, and in silence, listen to God. What is God trying to say to me? Who are the people that I need to maybe reach out? What are the attitudes in my life that are pushing me in a direction I shouldn't go? Which of these communication killers are, am I employing? Am I using? Have I been the person that God's called me to be? Galatians, the fifth chapter, verse 16. You guys know this text as well. Paul says, but I say walk by the Spirit and you won't gratify the desires of the flesh. And then he talks about how the, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the Spirit are at war with each other. Paul said that the idea is that we, we learn to kind of walk with God. You, you remember the, the beginning when everyone is in the garden and everything's hunky-dory back before the serpent and the fruit and all that good stuff? He said that every day the Lord came down in the cool of the day and he walked with Adam and Eve. There's something beautiful about that image, isn't there? This time of communion, not the Lord's Supper communion, but this time of, of just being together with God, just kind of walking and sharing and, and, and God talking and them talking, God listening and them listening to God. How beautiful is that image? And although we don't get a chance to go in a garden for a cool walk with God in the flesh, His Spirit is within us. We have an opportunity to have that same refreshment when we just stop what we're doing and begin to walk with him. Jesus also was a really very good listener when he listened to other people. 
And you see that as evidence throughout the Bible because Jesus was the master question asker. And someone who asks questions is listening. They're asking questions so that they might understand what's going on in the minds and the hearts of the people that, are, that they're communicating with. Jesus was most concerned to understand why are you thinking like you're thinking? And he was, he was listening to those people. Too many of us oftentimes are great talkers, but we don't have a real desire to learn to listen. And yet one of the keys to successful communication, probably one of the most powerful keys of successful communication, is learning just to listen. The Bible says that we ought to be slow to speak, quick to listen, excuse me, slow to speak and slow to become angry, right? And then he talks about how anger doesn't build the kind of life that God wants us to have. But you think about that, quick to listen and slow to speak. And and sometimes we just get that mixed up. We're quick to to speak and we're very slow to listen. And so so it's it's important for us, if we want to become that master communicator as Jesus did, to employ that tactic and say, you know what? I'm going to learn to listen. How do you do that? Well, one of the things that I think that maybe you might try, and I'm no good at this either, so we're all working on this together, church, One of the things I think is important is when somebody initiates a conversation, promise yourself that you're not going to talk about anything that has to do with you for the first five minutes in that conversation. They might not be able to do that. They might ask you a direct question and don't not answer their question. But how much of the conversations do you have with people every day have to do with you and what you think and what you've done? Maybe it's appropriate for you to ask them a question, how's their day going? What are they doing? How do they feel about those situations? It forces us to listen. And Jesus did something else that a really good listener does, and that is that Jesus became a mirror. And he kind of reflected back to people what they were saying. So he would ask a question, and then he would, in a masterful way, kind of reflect back to the people what it was that was really going on in their heart. And you, there's instances of that all over in the New Testament text, right? Like Jesus said in John first chapter and verse 8, what are you looking for, <laughs> right? And, 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 of course, they, they, they answered that question, and it was this moment that led into a bigger conversation. Or the Good Samaritan in Luke, the 10th chapter, is a great example of this because Jesus is having a conversation, and the guy asks, well, who's my neighbor, right? He's trying to justify himself, and Jesus is like, let me tell you a little story about this. There were two guys. There was a guy that went from Jerusalem to Jericho. You guys know the story. Um, but Jesus is becoming that mirror. He's reflecting back to that person exactly what's really going on in their heart. And then at the end of that story, you remember, Jesus said, now, which of those three guys was a real neighbor to the guy who fell among thieves? And the guy's like, oh, the Samaritan was. We hate your story, Jesus. But, but Jesus knew how to be that masterful listener and then how to reflect back to the people what it was that they were actually saying. But here's the thing I think Jesus did maybe that was most important. It's real hard for me sometimes. I'm guessing it's hard for you too. Jesus spoke honestly. Judas is going to betray him. Jesus said, Judas, you're going to betray me. Peter is about to go down in flames of fire. And Jesus said, Peter, Satan wished to sift you like wheat, but I prayed that you might encourage the brothers. Jesus never held back the truth from those who asked. 
rich young man comes up to Jesus and says, hey, I want to follow you. <laughs> I want to I inherit eternal life. What do I need to do? And Jesus liked the kid. He loved him, the Bible says, in fact, because he was, I think he was genuine. He was real. And so Jesus is like, look, here's what you need to do. Your stuff is in the way, so just sell it all, and you can come and follow me. It would have been much easier for Jesus to say something less confront, uh, confrontational, but he chose to speak honestly. Remember what our text said? Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor, for we are all members of one body. Let's break that down quickly as we close today. Number one, Paul says that we're called to speak. I think sometimes some of us are just like, you know what? None of my business. I'm not going to worry about that. I'm not going to say anything. If a brother is caught in a sin, you who are spiritual should restore that person gently. Watch yourself lest you be tempted. We have a responsibility to speak. But we also have a responsibility to speak appropriately. And I find in our world today that often the church is polarized into two camps. One camp just says, you know what? No one's listening, so I'm not talking, which is kind of a prideful attitude if we're honest about it. They're not worthy of hearing my brilliance my thoughts, my perspective. What we're really saying is, I don't want to deal with the pushback, so I'm just going to kill this communication. There's another group of people that are more than happy to communicate, but they're, they're combative in their communication. They don't want to just win the heart of the person. They want to win that fight. They want to be that other person to have to kneel in the dirt and say, you're right. They're in it to win it. And in both of those situations, communication is the sacrifice. We are called to speak, and we're called to speak truthfully. Sometimes it can be easy for us to not tell the whole truth, to allow our conversation to be shaded, not with a mind for deception, but maybe, maybe we just don't want to really dump it all on them, or we haven't been thoughtful enough to consider, how can I share this in a way that they will receive it? Let me be honest with you. Great communication is something that probably we won't do well alone. Jesus knew that we needed the Holy Spirit, church. I don't ever think about that, but Jesus knew we needed it. He, he said, it is good for me to go because the helper's going to come and he's going he's to help you to know what to say and how to say it. Now, we now have the word of God today, so God doesn't have to tell us what truth is because we've we received it, but we certainly still need help in knowing how to say it. The Bible tells us that we are to speak the truth in love. Truth can become a hammer. It can also become an instrument of repair, depending on how we use it. It's hard sometimes to speak the truth in love. But you notice what Paul says there in the ending part of Ephesians, the fourth chapter in verse 15. He says, when we do that, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. Let me just kind of pull this out so we catch what Paul is saying right here. He's saying that thing that denotes mature Christians, or mature. I say that like Midwesterner, right? You guys say it mature. Um, the, thing that, the thing that denotes a mature Christian is somebody who has mastered speaking the truth in love. See, communication is not just 
a simple subject. It may be that thing that gets down to the heart of where we really are. The Bible says that out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. What does our mouth say? Proverbs 12 and verse 18 reminds us that reckless words pierce like a sword, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. I've been that person that used words recklessly. And if I've ever done that to you, I would ask that you would forgive me. I'm sorry. Study the show yourselves approved unto God. A workman needs not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Guys, we're, we're called to not only know the word, but to know how to use the word of God, how to share the word of God. We are called to speak thoughtfully. James 1 and verse 19, he said, my dear brothers, take note of this. I just quoted a portion of this before. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. James is just a blunt and practical book, and I love it for that reason. James just dresses things head on, and maybe that's because James had been around the master communicator far more than some other people had. As the Lord's brother, he, he had witnessed some of that as, as growing up in that household. He had seen that wisdom. And so he just comes at the church with this, this gentle and yet firm, resolute statement. Quick to listen. Slow to speak. Slow to become angry. Proverbs 13, verse 3, the one who guards his mouth preserves his life. The one who opens wide his lips comes to ruin. I learned that lesson when I was in junior high school. I had a friend, later he was a friend. At that point, he was not a friend. A kid in my class was a bit of a bully. He came into class and it was Spanish. Second floor, hot spring morning, probably about May. He walks by my desk and just kicks me underneath the seat, right? You know how people will do, bam, kind of kicks me in the shin. Sarcasm is my gift, and so I answer back quickly without even thinking. That didn't hurt. Dumb. He proceeds to turn around and just punch me up the side of the head. Now, in my defense, at this point, I was dazed and confused. I didn't know quite what was going on. So I said something to the effect, although I don't know really what I said, but I was told later I said, that's all you got. Even dumber. See, that's where sarcasm gets you, right there, dead. And at this point, this kid is, is like six foot six. He probably weighs close to 300 pounds. He had failed twice, all right? Um, I should have known not to say anything to him. This is a man. This is not a boy right here. He picks me up by my shirt, and he's proceeding to carry me to the second-story window. I don't know to this day whether or not he was going to throw me out or not. He claimed later that it was just going to scare me. I don't know that he was, right? He was about to pitch me out the window when the teacher comes in and, uh, and, and tells him to put me down. And uh, we had to go to the, the principal's office and sit there and, uh, and look at each other for about an hour and a half while Mr. Fred was doing who knows what. And the secretary said, don't you guys say anything to each other. Well, after an hour and a half, you're sitting shoulder to shoulder to a guy that just about killed you. It's hard not to say something, you know? And I was kind of nervous, and you know me. I was vaccinated with a phonograph needle, so I started up a conversation, and we started talking. When we graduated high school, we were good friends. 
Sometimes our language can get us in more trouble than we might even imagine. Ecclesiastes 5.2, it says, Do not be hasty in word or impulsive in thought to bring up a matter in the presence of God, for God is in heaven and you are on earth. Therefore, let your words be few. We used to sing that song. It's an old worship song. Some of you guys who are old like me, you remember that song. Let my words be few, right? And I think in our world today, our model is completely different. Let me see how many words I can get out, whether I'm texting them, whether I'm posting them on social media, whether I'm talking to somebody about them. I just want to be seen. I want to be seen. I want to be heard. I want to be seen. And God said, Jason, why don't you just let your words count? Let your words be few. Colossians 3, but now you also put aside anger and wrath and malice and slander and abusive speech from your mouth. Ephesians 5, there must be no filthy or silly talk or coarse jesting, which is not fitting, but rather giving of thanks. It's interesting that silly talk right there is kind of a funny word. When you read it, you're like, well, it's not a Bible phrase. They didn't know how to really, uh, really translate that in some ways. Because um, the Greek there is moros and lego. Lego is a word that's used to uh, means that to make make language, to make words. And moros is where we get the word moron. So they didn't know how to put "let no moronic talk come out of your mouth." But listen, if you uh, if you've hung around me before, and if you're a little bit like me, you might have a little moronic talk. So as we close today. Let's look at the last thing that Jesus did, and he did well. He spoke redemptively. Colossians 4. The Apostle Paul, who was not always maybe the best communicator and gentlest communicator, says this to the church in Colossae. Let your speech always be with grace. Now, I I know we're we're a little bit close on time, but I I just got to point this out. He's not just saying, let your speech be gracious to the person who banged your new car in the Walmart parking lot with the cart. Some of us, that's easy because we're non-confrontational people. But he's saying, let your speech always be with grace. That's when your kids break your prized possessions. That's when your spouse is working on your very last nerve. That's when your coworkers have intentionally done something to pull a prank on you that angers you, let your speech always be with grace. As though seasoned with salt, so that you will know how you should respond to each person. Some of us, we just need to buy a bigger camel. We say, well, that was the straw that broke the camel's back. Buy a bigger camel. You have the Holy Spirit of the living God within you. There's no straw that can break that back. Jesus illustrated that to us. They're pulling out his beard. They're shoving a crown of thorns in his head. They're whipping his back, and he is the creator of the universe, and he remains silent. If Jesus can do it, you can too, not because you're as good as Jesus, but he has given you the same power that he had. You know, sometimes we just have to step off the escalator. When we're angry, when we're hurt, when we're exhausted, those are all the moments in life where things get the roughest. And we just need to maybe step off the escalator, count to 10, count to 100, count to 1,000, whatever it might take, gain control of our emotions, 
and then communicate clearly and honestly what it is that we really need to say. You know, an outburst of anger can have unintended but permanent consequences. I think arguably the greatest leader to ever live is a guy named Moses. God called him at 80 years old in the middle of the wilderness, a hermit shepherd, and said, hey, you're the guy. Go back to, to Egypt. You know the language. You grew up there. You know how to walk there. You know how to operate there. Go back and tell Pharaoh, all of my people, that million plus workers that are over there building his nation, they're about to leave. And, and Moses does it. That's a crazy thing. He argues with God a little bit, but he does it. He, he comes before Pharaoh day after day after day, dropping plagues on a nation that are devastating their gods and devastating their economy. This is a guy that has courage and has conviction. He's also called the meekest of all men. There's that one day. That one day when he's out there in Numbers 20 and God said, hey, I need you to speak to a rock. And he's so frustrated, so angry, these people just complain, 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 that he strikes the rock out of anger. And God said, I saw that. And because of that, you're never going to go into the promised land. Forty years later, Moses is caught by, carried by God up to a mountain and he looks over. But he would never get the crowning jewel. It would be Joshua and Caleb whose feet would tread in the Jordan River. And the people would follow Joshua and Caleb over. Moses would be buried there on top of that mountain by the Lord himself. Maybe for some of us this morning, it's not the kind of communication. It's just that we're not. President Abraham Lincoln summoned an army surgeon to the White House. And this guy was a high-ranking guy, and he had done a lot of great things in the military. And he assumed that it was there. he was there to get some accommodation for his valor in the line of duty. As he walked into the office, Mr. Lincoln asked the major, how's your mother? And the major replied, she's doing fine, thank you, sir. He said, you don't know that. You haven't written her for so long that she thinks you're dead. She's wanting for people to come out and do a special push to find your body that she might bury you in the home cemetery. Lincoln told him, sit down, son. He pushed him a piece of paper and a pen. He said, write her a letter. There's somebody in your life today that you haven't been communicating with. Maybe it's your spouse. Maybe it's an old friend. Maybe it's somebody whose relationship with you has been broken for a long time. I can't make you come in and sit down in my office and push you a piece of paper, but I, I want to encourage you today. Don't put that off. Because you may not get to have that conversation. Or maybe that conversation will not just change your relationship, but it will change their eternity. Guys, communication is important. If you need help in your marriage, if there's things that are difficult for you to work through right now, I want to encourage you to just catch one of us before you leave church today. Let's sit down. Let's talk about that. Let's try to open those doors. Let's try to take down those walls. Let's try to stop those communication killers so that we can learn to communicate like Christ. We're going to stand together and we're going to sing. If you have a need this morning, you know you can come.